you're no longer sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Your interests really go and have a greater impact, not just on technology, but really everyday life. This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Open up your notebooks, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MarketScale EdTech Podcast show. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. It's great to finally have an EdTech show. We have shows for basically every other industry, but EdTech was one of those ones that just was falling behind on the production. And we said, you know what? We want to get one out before the end of the new year and you know start populating some of this larger scale feature content. And that's what we're doing. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It is nicely curated with a variety of different looks at uh, AR, VR, digital nonfiction, and just the aspect of how do you adapt as an educator when technology changes day to day. It's a packed show, and I'm just glad to be hosting the EdTech show because EdTech was really the industry that inspired me the most when I first started at MarketScale, um, mostly because just education in general has a special place in my heart, which sounds oh, so romantic and cute, but it, it really does. It um, means a lot to me because I had fabulous educators that inspired me and guided me to where I'm at today. Uh, my favorite was probably Mrs. Carrie Dooley. She was my middle school teacher in middle school, yeah, 7th and 8th grade at Dowell Middle School in McKinney, Texas, and um, I actually interviewed her on my own podcast several years ago. It's called Bonus Stars. You should check it out. <laughs> it's uh, definitely production value is not that great, but hey, we all got to start somewhere. Uh, my favorite story with her, and I'm sure y'all are going to love this because it's just classic educator, but I was, what, 7th and 8th grade, you're 11, 12, 13 max, so it's still pretty immature, and me and a friend were walking to class. Uh, at that point, we had pretty colorful language. Um, I don't actually remember exactly what I said, but we were saying something that was probably offensive and non-kosher for a middle school hallway, and um, said something probably kind of weird or whatever, and we walked into the classroom as we were saying it, and I didn't see the teacher. So, of course, I was like, oh, cool, like, we can just continue to chat. And so we finished our colorful thoughts, and lo and behold, Mrs. Dooley pops up from behind her desk, like, on cue. She just appears, <laughs> apparates like a, like a phantasm, and is like, what did you just say? And I felt the life disappear from my body. I was like, oh my god, Miss Dooley, I'm so sorry. And she was my favorite teacher, and I held her to such a high esteem, still do, and so I didn't want to disappoint her, right? So I'm like on the verge of tears, thinking, oh, she's going to hate me. And she said, go to the principal's office. And I was like, no, please, Miss Dooley. And she's just, she says, take your stuff, go to the principal's office. And I was like begging, please, please, please don't. Like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. 
And then she kind of chuckled and said, just kidding. So, <laughs> uh, frightened me, traumatized me forever. But I learned then to be a little more conscientious of what dumb garbage I was spouting out at the age of 12. Um, and I think I'm better because of it. Uh, so, yeah, I gotta love Miss Dooley. I try to keep up with her when I can. But I advise all of you, keep up with your educators because time flies. And if you had anyone that was important to your upbringing like that and influence where you're at now career-wise or socially or just you as a person, I think you should give them a shout-out. They deserve the love. So during my time in middle school, the main tech innovation, and really until I graduated high school, the main tech innovation in my school district was the smart board. <laughs> and I felt like it was never even used to its full potential. In my district, at least, I felt like only half the teachers ever knew how to use it properly. And within a few years, they already began to feel dated. The touchscreen technology had already improved substantially, and these boards just felt like relics, even though they'd only been implemented for, what, three, four years max? So now, in 2018, going on 2019, as we look from smart board technologies to emerging tech like VR, AR, and just the whole concept of digital literacy for students, it's more crucial than ever for the tech that we implement to be implemented thoughtfully. And in this episode of the EdTech Podcast Show, we explore just that, thoughtful implementation of potentially transformative tools. And really, I wanna bring up the question, do we even want a transformation? Maybe what we really need is an empowerment of the classroom, not a complete transformation of the processes, but instead empowering the processes that are already there to work like they're supposed to. Let's start with a feature who sources one of my favorite people that I met back at ISTE in June, and that's JJ Janikus. When we first spoke, we touched on how his organization, Newzella, is bringing news to children to not only get them knowledgeable about worldly events, but expose them to captivating stories. MarketScale host Sam Kingma spoke with JJ again, and this time explored digital nonfiction and how it could replace textbooks in the classroom. Let's jump in. Hello, and welcome to the Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Kingma. The textbook is one of the most well-known pieces of iconography for the American education system. But over the last couple of years, textbooks have been slowly devolving into a thing of the past, with digital nonfiction taking its place. Joining us today is returning guest JJ Janikis, manager of education communities over at Newzella, to discuss the benefits and drawbacks of digital nonfiction, how to get the most out of digital content in the classroom, and what the future holds for old school textbooks. How you doing, JJ? Great, thanks. That's excellent. And thank you so much for coming back on the Market Scale Education Technology Podcast. Now, to start this feature off, I wanted to ask, uh, what's the engagement level been like for digital nonfiction over the last 10 years or so? Wow, over the last decade or so. I, I mean, I think that's a huge period of time. I, you know, things in education change year to year so quickly. Um, I would say in the last five years, um, I've noticed a that's where I've seen a huge transformation from um, really a focus in you know digital tools in the classroom serving more of a purpose directly in instruction um, where teachers are leveraging the the tool to help um, students read and read in a way that's more personalized and increasing the engagement to the individual student. Do you think you can give me an example of that? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, my background is in at Newzella, and so you know, using uh, a reading tool such as Newzella, where the different levels of the the text can really meet the student's instructional reading level, um, and really bringing in texts that are meaningful to the student. So you know, whereas before a student would have to perhaps read something that was not only at a lower level but at a lower instructional um, uh, interest level as well. Um, whereas now we have the tools to really help um, differentiate and automate some of the, the reading um, um, texts for students. Um, so it can really be something that you would, uh, an adult would see uh, that would be really engaging to that student. That's very interesting. Now, can you explain to us some of the benefits of using digital nonfiction in the classroom as opposed to your standard textbooks? I think the benefit is that when you use something that's digital, it has the ability to change more frequently and change in response to the needs of the teacher and to the classroom. Um, whereas a textbook, once it's printed, um, the world continues to change and that textbook remains fixed, whereas digital tools can be readily adapted um, to, res to respond to the, the world climate and the, the classroom climate. That's very interesting. Now, on the opposite side of that, what are some of the drawbacks or challenges to using digital nonfiction in the classroom? In my experience as a, a former middle school teacher, you, I think I, I relied on initially a textbook to help guide me and giving me a sequence of how I was supposed to teach. Um, and, you know, digital tools now, there's so much. And so you really have to, as a teacher, it's allowing you a lot more freedom. But in, in, in that way, too, it also might take you more time initially to find what you need um, and put it on the pathway that really meets your needs. Um, so in, in that way, it could uh, the wealth of digital resources uh, can make a teacher spend more time in their search um, until they, they find what they really ultimately need. So with taking account for both the benefits and drawbacks of using digital nonfiction, do you think there is still a place for your standard textbooks in the classroom, at least right now in 2018? I that That's a challenging question. Um, I think that... Ultimately, it's what the teacher really needs to better their instruction. So if a textbook is what they need, then of course, I think that's what's going to best leverage them. I come from a mindset where that no longer became what I needed. I could see the relevance to finding text in a digital climate, in a digital um, atmosphere, um, whether it be Newzella or you know using and pulling from other um, nonfiction platforms or news platforms to really fit the the sequencing that I needed. Um, and that was that was because I felt that that was what was the most up to date content, the most engaging content for students. Um, but you know, it really comes down to what what the educator feels the most comfortable with. That's a very interesting way of looking at it, sort of taking it on an individual by individual basis for whatever the teacher is most comfortable with. Now, switching gears a bit, what are some of the best practices in the classroom when using digital tools or digital media? Best practices for digital tools? Uh, I honestly think it starts with the um, instruction that the teacher has in what those digital tools are. Um, I think that there's first... Uh, the need to have the teacher become really 
familiar with the device, whether it be, you know, really leveraging how to maximize the time when using a Chromebook or using a MacBook or PC. Um, and then once they have that kind of comfort and instruction, now they can really dive in and say, okay, great. I have that level of comfort. You know, my students are going to be able to use this and master this uh, device. And now we can really find those digital tools that work within those devices. So I think a lot of it is the initial teacher professional development of devices. And then the best practice for, you know, using those digital tools is again, the, ultimately, the goal, I think, is to help teachers save time so that they can really focus on better instruction, focus on personalization for students and those interventions that students might need. Um, so to do that, you know, I think digital tools can help where they are able to give the teachers some more assessment within the reading to know based off of what they're reading, what was their level of comprehension um, that's immediate. And that's something that, um, you know, a, a paper text can't give the teacher is that immediacy of, um, or I should say, immediate um, knowledge of comprehension. Now, we've been talking a lot about digital tools in general. Do you think you could provide some specific examples of some digital tools you've seen used in the classroom? Yeah, some of the, the, the tools that, I mean, I'm most familiar with, um, I think, you know, I, I'm in a place from Newzella, so that's a place where uh, teachers can come and they can find the relevant nonfiction. We're always adding new articles every day, um, wealth of you know primary source documents, and that's something that's hugely necessary for across grade levels, is helping students really analyze those primary source texts, as well as more current events, um, you know, really tackling those tough topics that you students might hear or see every day. Um, so Newzella is definitely one resource that I, I'm the most familiar with. And then you can, you know, other resources like Nat National Geographic Society has amazing resources as well in their kind of structured platform. Um, you know, iCivics has some really great, you know, lesson and resource materials for uh, students. And then they've done a really great job in making extensions in their games to really help the students practice some of that learning in a more um, gamified way. How do you measure success or the level of engagement with digital content in the classroom? Yeah, I think um, being on from both sides, in my opinion, you know, in the classroom, how did I measure that engagement and how did I measure that success? I think ultimately it was, you know, I, as an educator, was choosing something that was going to align to my instruction and align to my curriculum. But I also wanted to give it that kind of contemporary twist where students could see themselves in that. And success in the classroom was, you know, the, the comprehension, of course, but also what was the conversation that was happening? Could you really hear students authentically responding to the text? Were they seeing themselves? Were they able to make uh, deeper analysis within that text and relate it to our instruction? So that's how I saw success in the classroom. I think now on um, the Newzella side, where we really look for engagement and success is, you know, within the classroom, how, how often is the teacher coming to Newzella? Um, how many articles are students reading within the classroom? How long are they spending reading um, on, an, on a day or on, on a week within Newzella? Um, so we kind of look at some of those metrics to help us uh, determine engagement. Um, and also, you know, as a platform with Newzella, how how is this um, pervasive across the school community? Um, and is this something that one teacher is really focusing on, or is this a part of the really the school culture for reading engagement? 
as more and more schools adopt one-to-one -one laptops for students, do you think we'll see digital nonfiction become the norm in the next three to five years or so? I would say that that's definitely leading the trend is, you know, the devices have to come first. And then once the devices are there, and I said, like the teacher full professional development is there, then I believe that the, the teachers will naturally gravitate towards digital nonfiction, because that is what's the most readily available is that digital tool, um, what such as a Chromebook in their classroom for one to one. Um, and so the the, the digital nonfiction um, is, I think, going to just naturally be part of that next step. All right. Now, I just got one more question for you, JJ. And it's simply, do you think that digital nonfiction has really revolutionized the way learning is done in the classroom? I, I don't honestly, I don't think so. I think it's just a natural progression of instruction. And it's a natural progression of the kind of college and career readiness that students are expected. So, you know, we, as we go into our careers, we're focused more um, and do most of our reading digitally. So in the classroom, that just has to be a natural progression for students to become um, ready for their college and career success. Thanks again to MarketScale host Sam Kingma for that feature. You know, what Newzella does really tugs at my journalistic roots and makes me wish I had a platform like that when I was in school. It would have really exposed me to creative and authentic nonfiction that I don't think I really ever got exposed to, mostly because, I mean, as a kid, I didn't have a lot of interest in looking up the news, but as I grew older and got more entrenched in my degree, obviously I found a real love and passion for it, but I wonder what it would have been like if I would have had that at a younger age. So if you want to find out more about Newzella's mission to increase digital literacy by bringing news to the kids, head to the main post for this week's show for a link to their site. Our next feature digs more into two of the classic emerging technologies of today, AR and VR. I feel like we're all tired of hearing those words, and since covering topics like this, I've seen a lot of negative reactions to the idea of bringing this technology into the classroom. But more often than not, the advocates for it truly believe it's a tool for better education. And educators are constantly striving to improve the success of knowledge transfer, so our guest today thinks AR and VR are the technological advancements that are going to make that easier. MarketScale host Sean Heath had a chat with author, speaker, and educator Jamie Donnelly from ARVR and edu.com. They explored the constant challenge to engage students in the subject matter, how the innovative side of the equation has grown, and how you don't necessarily have to go to Alaska to learn how to survive a bear attack. All right, Sean, take it away. Welcome to Education Technology. I'm Sean Heath. From the first classroom that was ever put together throughout the ages to today there has been a trajectory of improvement of in attempting to increase the amount of knowledge that students can gain when they're within that space well there's only so much you can do within four walls but what if there was a way to expand the space between the ears and behind the eyes of those students well then you might be onto something Today, I get to talk to someone who has experience with that concept on a daily basis. It's author, educator, speaker, 
Chief Cook and Bottle Washer at ARVRNEDU.com. It's Jamie Donnelly. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Hi, Sean. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. I wanted to make sure I got all those titles in there. Um, it's That's a pretty long uh, resume you've got. Now, you started out as a teacher, and so you're really very well-versed in the, the struggles of imparting knowledge uh, there's so many challenges that uh, come with being a teacher. In my job, in my opinion, it's one of the hardest jobs on earth, but it should be hard. Worthwhile things in society should be hard. They should have value and they should require little hard work and elbow grease. As an educator, and you see these tools now, you see the way that AR and VR are literally changing the way we teach. They're also having an effect on the way we think, aren't they? Definitely. Well, and I'll tell you, before I was a teacher, I was a student, you know, so being a student that struggled and not because I couldn't do it, but because I was so bored and I had no, um, I had no passion to excel because I can get by with just doing bare minimum. Um, I was not a great student and I don't think I ever thought I would become an educator. So I initially went to school because I thought I was going to homeschool my own children, which as soon as I had my kids and as soon as I realized what their needs were as individuals, I realized I, that's so out of my, I'm not qualified to be there. You know, I can't homeschool these kids. So, uh, but in that process, I ended up going to school and uh, finishing up my degree and my certification and I was coaching and just absolutely loved working with the kids and thought, oh, gosh, I'd love to be in the classroom. And as soon as I got in the classroom, it's like it brought out a different side of me. I just it just became, you know, it was like, whoa, I didn't even know this part of Jamie existed. I get to dress up and be crazy and have fun every day and get paid for it. And and really and truly to the day that I was actually out of the classroom, I had some hard times and some great times. But at the end of the day, if I was ever bored in the classroom, I you know, it was like, I'm out. This, this isn't for me anymore. I never allowed it to get to that point. So to some extent, those kids were getting entertained as much as I was getting entertained um, and being educated. It was always a constant quest of, you know, solving a problem or figuring things out or just the awe of learning. Because I think for me, it's, it's never stopped. But when I talk about immersive technology, that is absolutely taking it to that, you know, next step of that. Wow, what is going on here? So it's, it never has failed. I started using, uh, you know, immersive technology when I became an instructional technologist and started sharing it with educators. And it's just my passion for this has continued to grow. I, I love finding new things that maybe aren't popular and hasn't been heard or people don't really quite know about, you know, there's some things we all hear about, but I think I'm really passionate about finding the things that people don't know about and then trying to let people know how much is really available using immersive technology. Now you have labeled yourself as not being a good student. I don't think that's entirely fair. I think it would be accurate to say that the definition of good student, whatever that nebulous sort of imaginary concept of, of rules was, wasn't an accurate description of what a good student 
is in your case. You were a good student for you, but maybe you didn't fit into that other definition. The technology that in AR, VR, immersive technology really allows that definition of good student to be much more flexible, much more fluid, which ultimately will lead to more success in the long haul for both sides of the equation, both for educators and for students. And I think that when when we focus our learning, there's going to be times where you're learning something that is not going to capture your attention. It's not going to be something you enjoy doing. You know, uh, for me, language arts was never my forte. I didn't want to memorize a bunch of, you know, terms or grammatical grammar period. I just, you know, I wanted it to make sense. So for me, math made sense. I understood why it was consistent. It didn't fluctuate, it didn't change. It was what it was. And I didn't have to necessarily memorize facts like I would with, you know, history or um, other, even, you know, I feel like science could be similar in that way, but still there was a lot of memorizing. And for me, that's just not my strength. But when it comes to immersive technology and learning, I don't think it's a matter of memorization. I feel like education has shifted in that way too. It's not really what your kids can memorize anymore. It's allowing your students to be exposed to concepts and content. What can they do with that then? What is possible with what they have been exposed to? So then they're taking it to the next level. They have to make connections even our standardized tests have changed. You know, it can't be just repeating information. It's what can they um, understand beyond what, you know, what can they layer on top of that? What could be the next level of learning with that knowledge? So um, I know for myself, that is so enticing. I love challenges. I love, you know, trying to solve things. So when it comes to immersive technology, though, it's like walking into a different dimension. You know, you have a chance to learn in a way that's exploratory and it's undefined. You know, nobody said, this is all you need to know. This is exactly what you need to learn out of this. Because every time you go into those experiences, it's so personalized and so open-ended to what you can get out of that that I think um, we have opportunities for learning that definitely exceed beyond just the memorization. As a parent, I've always felt that the greatest thing I could ever do for my children is help make sure that they learn how to think. Uh, I, I am very fond of history. I like dates and facts and skirmishes and, and anecdotes, and I love all of that stuff. It's interesting to me. It adds flavor, but we can't forget that Studying history is great, but you have to remember you're actually part of history today. So let's, how do we take the knowledge that's in front of us that we need and learn that? How are these technologies changing the way that professionals in this industry are approaching those challenges as, as well as approaching the best way to achieve the goals that they want in order to create a long-term viability for this technology to be able to continue to grow? How do they get out of their own way, I guess, is the question. You know, one of the things, I, I mentioned Dr. Webb, actually, he's in my book, too. I did a, a live video stream with him, um, asking him some questions because this is the, I mean, he knows it. He's a professor out at the University of Alaska, and he teaches kids how to code. So he's working with students to prepare them to be developers of this content. 
and um, really working heavily on the VR side. Um, and so he started getting requests from local companies asking, hey, can you make this? Can you make this? We spent an enormous amount of money getting our people trained, but boy, we could really have an opportunity. Go, why, why are you coming to me? You know, I mean, how about all these other companies that, that doesn't exist? There's nobody else out there. We've looked it up. We don't, you know, there's nobody that could do what you're doing right now and the way that we want to specify this. So he started doing some of this, um, actually to the point where now he's leaving as a professor and he's literally starting his own company where he's developing stuff for companies that need training. So one of the people that came and approached him, one of the companies said, look, in Alaska, one of the issues that they have out there, anybody that works outdoors has to be prepared for bear attacks, which not sure where you're at, Sean, I'm in Texas, but um, that's not an issue for us. I, I don't see bears, um, but in Alaska, that is a very real danger for anybody that's that has any type of field that has outdoor, that has to be outdoors. So they spend tons and tons of money sending somebody out there bringing them out there to go and learn how to use a bear spray. They bring them out to the woods and, okay, this is what you're going to do. If you see a bear and bring it back inside. Okay. Now they're properly prepared to handle a bear attack. Right. Well, um, he created a simulation that actually adapted to um, the people that were making decisions. He used the HTC Vive, got people on there and he said, it never fails. Every person that gets on here dies. Every person dies from a bear attack. He said, you know, either they freeze out of fear and just can't do anything. Or he says he sees people kind of shrivel down or scream. He's even seen people actually run out of the room. The headset goes flying off their head. Um, so it is like extreme, even though you know it's not real. Your brain, your body, everything still reacts. It's, it's really strange. But he said it was, they got afraid, then they moved past that the next time, the next time, the next time. So as they're practicing in this simulation, that's obviously adapting to all their decisions. Um, then they're learning, okay, this is how I use my bear spray. I've gotten past the, oh my gosh, there's a bear coming after me to let me use this bear spray. Oh, I forgot to take off the safety. Oh, oh I've sprayed too early. Now I've really ticked off that bear and I'm gonna die. Oh, I've sprayed too late. You know, So they had to go through this process now, are they fully prepared for a bear? I don't know until they see a bear, but I know that they're much more prepared for a bear than they were prior to doing that type of training. So I think our fields are going to demand in many ways, both for safety, for cost efficiency. I mean, uh, really even just pre being prepared, sufficiently prepared for things that we can't happen in, in real life and can't simulate in the real, real world that we can do in these immersive technology fields and, and these resources that we have, I think many of our jobs are going to include these types of experiences. Yeah, that's very important to expand the definition of student uh, and take it away from the traditional K through 12 or college. We all should be students all day, every day. And here's a lesson that I learned quite a long time ago to prepare myself for bear and or shark attacks. Um, don't go where there are bears or sharks. That's just, that's just me. I know it's extremely simple. It's kind of 
but that's just how I particularly like to pr- uh, protect myself from those particular dangers. But I did learn something today because, as I said, everybody's a student. And I learned that if I want to have a chat with somebody who really knows the ins and outs of AR, VR in the education space, it's you, Jamie Dolan. <laughs> well, no, that's not true. I'm a learner. I There are new things coming out every single day. There, it is quite impossible to ever get everything out there, but it is, that's what keeps me engaged is it? it's always something new. It's always something different. There's it's fresh. It's, you know, constantly improving. So I think that, you know, you mentioned don't go to where bears and sharks are. That's a good, that's great. But sometimes for instance, I live in an area that has tornadoes, not so much where I live in particular, but in this general area, I'm live fairly close to Oklahoma And so this general area will experience tornadoes. And I think even knowing how to react and respond and to learn from tornadoes and what it's capable of doing, how to be protected as much as you can, those types of, you know, AR and VR experiences are out there. And then also uh, a friend of mine, Steve Sato, who's out in California, he is working on a project that he's been working on that he's very passionate about and think about when we can't be prepared, school shootings. I mean, those types of experiences that are happening in our schools, he's working hard to help prepare our students and our staff on what they're going to do should they encounter something like that. And I think that's so powerful because we're no longer just asking them to just sit there and be in fear. Granted, fear is going to come, but to be somewhat prepared for what this can look like, where to go, how to handle this situation. Um, I think it will help our students and our teachers in order to be prepared for those types of situations. So um, anyways, I, I, you know, sometimes you can't be prepared. Sometimes it's, you live in areas you're exposed to, you know, not sure where you're at. I grew up in California, earthquakes happen, you know, there's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be terrible circumstances that we're going to face, even positive circumstances, even like, Hey, I'm learning to be a public speaker. And there are virtual simulations to get in front of people for interviews, for jobs or getting up in front of audiences and speaking and having a chance to practice in those situations prior to going in front of live audience. I think it's just all a benefit to have those experiences prior to the real life ones. Today, it's been my privilege to have a chat with speaker, author, and of course, the big honcho at arvrnedu.com, Jamie Donnelly. Jamie, thanks so much for taking the time today. I wish you very happy holidays and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. To finish off our show today, We look at the public schooling system as a whole, and I think to a degree, it's always been kind of resistant to changing the fundamentals of teaching, because really the fundamentals have at least seemed to work for, I mean, years, decades, centuries even. But today's world moves so much faster, and school staff and faculty are going to need to adapt with the fast times if they ever want their students to thrive in the modern day. Perhaps the people that need to lead this charge are the educators about to enter the industry. Joining us today is Jasenia Kalimas, a student teacher candidate studying at Illinois State University. She discusses the benefits of technology in the classroom, solving problems in classroom structure with technology, and the importance of teaching digital literacy in 2018 and beyond. 
Here's MarketScale host Sam Kingma with the interview. How are you doing, Jusenia? I'm doing fantastic, Sam. Oh, that's wonderful. All right, so I wanted to start this conversation off by asking that it's been a little over, a little under half a decade since you've graduated from high school. Uh, And I wanted to know, have you noticed any significant or minor changes in the way that students are educated in the time between being in front of to behind the chalkboard? Yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy because there has been a major change in the way that technology has influenced our students today. Uh, When I was in high school, we did not have one-to-one laptops or tablets. In some of our classrooms, we had just chalkboards. We didn't even have whiteboards. In today's classrooms, we've got students who have laptops that are their own laptops or their own tablets. We have smart whiteboards so that the teachers can actually interact right on the whiteboard. There's just been major changes in just what technology students can have access to. Beyond technology, have there been any sort of changes in sort of teaching culture between being a student to now becoming being a teacher? Oh, absolutely. Now, a lot of assignments or what they're going to be doing for the day, it's all online. Lots of teachers are using Blackboard or Google Classroom or even creating their own websites on like Weebly or Wix. And they're having like what's assigned and then they have the students actually turn in their assignments online. There's actually no like paper physical copy or even printing of like assignment sheets. It's just all digitally done. Have you found that the students are more attracted to do these online centric assignments as opposed to having to go to the library or use the parent's computer to go print out? essays and homework and whatnot? I think it definitely is easier for both the teacher and the student because the teacher can keep a digital list of who's turning in things. They can literally have everything on their own laptop. They don't have to have like this huge milk crate box where they put all of the students' assignments in. It's much more convenient for the teacher. It's also more convenient for the student because they can also have everything that they need for the assignment already on their laptop. You know, in the past, they could be like stuffing their assignment sheets in those backpacks and then they lose it. Now you can just go onto your classroom's website and look up what the assignment was. So I think that definitely is a benefit for both teacher and student. Now you brought up something a little earlier that I wanted to touch on, specifically some of the common pieces of technology that are used in a classroom on a daily basis. You mentioned the smart board, you mentioned laptops. Are there any others that you'd like to shout out and mention that have fundamentally changed the way teaching is done in a classroom setting? Besides the laptops and I mean, just with the internet, you get so much more resources. YouTube is a huge movement right now for teachers because we, if you know, if we can't teach or we don't know it well, guess what? We can rely on YouTube to help us out. And another one that students just seem to love is playing Kahoot. I don't know if you've ever heard of Kahoot, uh, but it's just a fun quiz game for students to play. But what's really going on for the teacher's aspect is that we are getting in time, real time feedback from the students. Are they understanding this lesson? Do they get what I'm teaching them? Because you can tell because it tells you like how many kids answered this one and how many got it right or wrong. And you can take the opportunity to be like, okay, let me answer your question if you don't understand that. Beforehand, you would have to wait until after a quiz or a test. And by that point, your students might be failing because you're not asking them feedback. Now, you yourself are a younger teacher. You're a uh, candid student teacher at the Illinois State University. Do you feel that the younger teachers and the next generation of teachers, such as yourself, have a tendency to embrace technology solutions more than older, more veteran teachers? 
Oh, I think that definitely is true. If you go to any of our conventions or like any of our, you know, we've got a lot of communities that we come together and we go and we discuss what can we be doing better to be as teachers. There's always going to be a discussion on how can you incorporate technology into your classroom. And we, because we grew up in a world where social media and all of this technology was available to us, we're more, you know, reliant on it. We can use it. We can navigate it better. So I think it's just a barrier right now for those that older generation and they might not be ready to cross it without the online community or like younger teachers helping them out and learning how to use it. And on a level beyond a teacher by teacher basis, have you seen school districts embrace technology more than say, you know, four or five years ago? Well, it depends on like the funding of the school. So in our high school, we did not have the funding. So we are not one-to-one. We barely, like, as I said, we barely have even whiteboards in our classroom. I definitely think that if schools want to improve their education, one of the first things that they do is that they buy technology for their for their classroom. That includes like those whiteboards or they're doing lots of one-to-ones. That's, that's mainly the huge movement is doing that one-to-one. And I know it's relatively new, the sort of one-to-one with one student, you know, per, per laptop, but have there been any scientific studies done being worked on or out showing that, hey, these laptops and this technology has actually helped improve student grades and interaction and engagement with school? I know I've read some studies from the English Journal, which is part of the National Council of English Teachers, that technology has helped improve students because they feel more confident. It's a media where they are already familiar with. As I said, like our generation, yes, but the generation that is happening now that we are teaching They are so familiar with technology. So if you incorporate something that the students are familiar with, for example, if you're like, hey, for your final project, make a YouTube video. So many students are watching YouTube videos, so they feel like they can do that assignment. And it it boosts their willingness to do the assignment and therefore their grades because they're putting more meaningful work into it. It's helping students become more engaged with their own education. That's really wonderful. Now, sort of going off that a bit, have you noticed any general problems in either the classroom setting or the classroom structure that can be fixed through the use of either current or undeveloped still being worked on technology? I think one of them, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is having one place where the student can see how they're doing in the class or how to be successful in the classroom. We have, like as I said, there's Blackboard, Google Classroom, and their own websites where it tells them, okay, this is how you're doing in the class, and it gives them their grades, and this is what the assignments they have to do and everything like that. That's never really been a thing before the last, I don't know, I guess the last five years, because if I even think back to my elementary school, If I needed to remember something, it was written down in a planner. And if I didn't write it down, that was it. And you never knew your grades because there was no online thing to keep track of that. So that's nice, not only for the student to know where they are in that classroom, but also for the teacher and the parents, because then they can see what's going on. Does the student need help? Another important thing that technology has brought into is making meaningful assessments. There's really this huge movement of pushing away from just taking standardized tests as your like final project for that. So you do Romeo and Juliet, and then you just, you know, take a test. Now with technology, we can have meaningful assessments, you know, create your own scene or make a YouTube video, or a lot of the times they'll have you do like social media pages for the characters. I think that was a huge problem in education was that we just had the students sit down, listen to whatever is being told, 
and you just memorize it and you just put it out and you don't learn anything. With technology, we give the students the opportunity to actually engage in what they're learning. So I think that's the huge thing that technology has brought us today. Do you find yourself having to teach your students digital literacy in the classroom? Yes, and I think it's actually a very huge problem that we're experiencing right now. Just in my class this semester, we read a visual graphic novel I thought that was very cool because pictures are, you know, students will find them more engaging and, you know, it's less reading because it's not actual words. But I was shocked to see that most of my classmates could not understand or did not find meaningfulness in reading a graphic novel. And it's because they don't know what visual rhetoric is. And that's quite insane because in our culture, we are saturated in just visual rhetoric. I, and when I refer to visual rhetoric, I mean any kind of visual thing that you look out. This includes like memes and all the different pictures on social media and TV and movies and just anything that's got a picture on it. It's got some meaningfulness to it. And so, yeah, I think it's really important that you teach students how to look and read into a picture and be able to analyze its meaning. And have you struggled with teaching this digital literacy? And have you found sort of other teachers, both young and old, also struggle with showing students, hey, you know, this is a really important skill to learn that is probably in 2018 just as important as, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, all the usual suspects. I think it definitely is very difficult because it's relatively a new thing. I don't think veteran teachers have really caught on. And I think as a young teacher, we're just catching on to this, that this is an important topic that we need to discuss. I think the problem is, is that we just don't rec recognize it as a literacy. Because in the traditional sense, literacy is can you read and write? But there's so many different types of literacies, including can you read digital digital rhetoric? I think what has, what needs to happen is we need to recognize that Yes, social media is an important part of how, like important part of students' education because you know what? After the students graduate from high school and, and from college or whatever they do, they're going to go out into the real world where all of these rhetorics is happening. And they can either be part of the solution or part of the problem. And we need to give them the education to be able to analyze and read and actually interact with their own culture and their own society. Okay, so I just got one more question for you, Jacinda, before we wrap up. And it's just in a general sense, what do you see as the future for technology in the public schooling system? Well, I hope that one day education can be recognized as an important part of our society. And so I hope that we can get more funding for public education so that we can give more schools technology to work with, especially that one-to-one, -one, giving students the ability to be able to go on the internet, to be able to use a laptop, to be able to interact and engage more with their own education and their own society. In the future, I hope to see more technology being used more meaningfully. Just them being able to engage with their world through the screen of a laptop. All right, everyone, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale EdTech Podcast Show. I hope you look forward to me hosting these because I don't think I'm ever going to get enough of retelling my childhood education stories. And I'll always try and find a little twinge of how to fit the tech into there. But boy, I had some great teachers. I had some pretty tragic teachers and it makes for good stories. So hope you're looking forward to more of those in my intros. 
But till then, thanks again for listening. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to more, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.